You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. I told Haley, my guest, my beautiful guest right now, I'm the nervous one. She's so brave. (laughs) (laughs) She's right here. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Haley. I so appreciate your courage. I so appreciate your wanting to spread this information out into the world. I'm, I want to acknowledge you for rising above the shame of the past, of what happened to you, and uh, rising above it, and then now sharing your message to the world. So let's start with that, because um, I'm, I'm one of those people who go to the end of the book, and is it a good ending? <laughs> <laughs> share a little bit about yourself, and um, just share where are you right now, because I, I don't want anyone to pity you. You're not here for that. You're yeah. here to empower people, Yes. So, yeah, so right now I'm 19. Um, I'm a junior in college for social work. Um, I graduated with my liberal arts degree when I was 17. (laughs) I'm a dancer. I teach dance classes occasionally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you. I awoke to this child sex trafficking. I... I was outraged. I, I, we met at one of the Facebook groups. I saw your post. And your post says child sex trafficking, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's happening at home. It's not being abducted and being sold off. It's happening at home. Can you share whatever you can share about your experience? So a lot of people, when they think about like um, child sex trafficking, their mind automatically goes to like, a kid being abducted in like a dark alley and like never seeing their family again and like being sold. And of course that does happen. Like, I don't want to discredit people who that does happen to because that's a real, very real uh, problem on its own. I think a lot of times people are so busy looking for kidnappers and abusers that they're afraid to look at their own family or neighbors to see what's really happening. Um, In my experience, my father was my sex trafficker. Um, he sold me, he started molesting me when I was four years old. My first childhood memories of him uh, were of him molesting me at four. And then when I was eight years old, I was sold into trafficking. Um, there would be days that I wouldn't see any people. I'd be locked in barns or closets or whatever. And the only people I would see was my dad and his friends coming out to rape me. It, 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 no one deserves that and not from your own father. So how long did it last? So I was four years old when it started. And then I was eight years old when it started to get really bad. When I was 15, I was impregnated by my father. So I was pregnant with my father's child. I had a miscarriage to his child, but that's when it started to come to life for me. That's when people started to find out like the truth about my father because it started to get really hard to hide throughout high school. I would have bruises like strangle marks on my like neck, like beaten eyes, bruises all over my body. So it started to become harder and harder to hide than when I was a child. So then I was 15, it's come out. And then 
my 15th birthday was the last time my father raped me. But then I moved in with my paternal grandparents, his parents, and my grandfather was already on um, the sex trafficking list, Megan's Law. So then the abuse started again with my grandfather. Wow. Oh my God. I just want to hug you right now. <laughs> okay, so your grandfather was also an abuser. Yes, my paternal grandfather. Was your father abused also by his own um, father? Do you know? I have like a complicated family dynamic. So like the person I consider my paternal grandfather isn't actually my dad's father. My grandma was married multiple times. And it is said that my father was probably abused by one of like the many men that came in and out of his house growing up. Yeah, because there's that if if that's the kind of love you know, even though yeah. it's sick and disgusting, that's that's yeah, how it's like a cycle know. of abuse. Yeah. Um. So you were trafficked and you were raped by other men too, not yes. just your father. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You just had that one pregnancy and you had a miscarriage. Am I following it correctly? Mm -hmm. So it started getting really hard to hide your yeah. bruises. Yeah, high school. And did, did you get any help from school? In high school, um, my high school was like my home. Um, I was there probably longer than any other student. I would get there early in the morning and I would stay late at night. Like it was, it was my safe place. Like learning in school was my only place that I felt safe in the world. So I used that to keep me sane, basically. But eventually during high school, as I started to find my voice a little bit more, I wasn't as, I mean, in high school, I was still very timid and shy, but it wasn't like I was the scared eight-year-old anymore. Like I knew what was happening to me was wrong to whereas when I was eight, I just thought it was like a normal thing. I thought it happened to everyone that's all I knew but as I started to grow up and see like other people's families and other people like how other people's families worked and how their dads treated them like it started to click in my brain that like this wasn't normal and so I kind of had that perspective in high school I started to realize that and then I started to confine more and more in certain teachers and um, obviously like when teachers hear that kind of stuff they have to report it so then I started to get social workers and all of that where's your father now he's in jail Good, thank, thank God. Uh, yeah. For specifically to your case? Yep. Oh. Um, went to trial against him in March, and I um, he was found guilty on all counts. This case is your own case against your father? Yep. Okay. Did anyone help you with that? I had a lot of support through school. Like I said, a lot of my teachers helped me. I was going, I started going to trial when I was 15 and the trial just ended this March. So I was going to trial for like three and a half years. Wow. I was going to court once a month, every month, walking in, seeing my dad. He wasn't handcuffed or anything. He was just sitting there. And so I do like, I found a lot of support in school, but then I also had my victim advocate. She was always, she always came to court with me. And then my maternal side of the family has been supportive too. Okay. And where is your grandfather now? My grandfather is at home. I pressed charges against him, but it came to a point to where I was done. Like, I, I couldn't go to court anymore. I'd been going to court for three. Well, now it's been four and a half years against my dad. And I just couldn't do that again. Like, I just wanted to be able to move on. So I, just, I dropped charges against him um, this summer. Okay. How was that process like to 
describe that that feeling of being done i'm done um you're done with revenge you're done yeah. with yeah so i kind of got to a place to where i'm starting to be able to forgive my father as crazy as it is like it's coming to a point to where it's like i can't change the past like what's happened to me has happened to me and the only thing i can do is help my future i can help other kids i can help find my own voice and use my voice to help other people so it's just got and it got to a point in high school to where it was like it felt never ending. It was like I hadn't physically been hurt by him in years, but I was still having to go. He when I first reported he was arrested for two days and then he was let go. The like court system said that he wasn't a danger to society. So he was allowed to like live at home, go to work and stuff and his trial. So then when I went to court once a month, he was sitting like just with next to my mom, like in a court pew and like I'd walk past him sit next to her sit by him it got to a point where that was like too much for me and I was like there's no way like I can do that again although I would get my grandfather off the street it's also to the point where I can use my voice to help people in other ways rather than just getting him arrested wow that's oh I want to hug you even more right now because <laughs> <laughs> that that process of forgiveness forgiving your perpetrator is very very hard for other people um who've gone through abuse in fact they identify with that i'm abused i'm a survivor of that becomes a label that becomes a, an identity and to take that identity from people um it, it's like they're defending that identity and yet yeah. here you are so young yeah, I mean, it is, it will always be a part of who I am. Like, there's no, there's, I mean, 18 years of my life, I was physically and sexually abused by the men in my family that I was supposed to trust. And yeah. that's never, it's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing, I can't make it go away. I can't go back in the past and change what they did. Yeah, you can't make it go away. You've embraced it. Yeah. And, and you're choosing to rise above it, which is really the, the point of this podcast is rising above crimes against humanity. Oh my God. You're, you've got such a big, big heart. Is there anyone, um, or something that really inspired you to get to this point in your life? There's been, I've had a lot of, lot of, lot of support along the way. I've had people. Like teachers have turned into like motherly figures. I've had people from church turn into like motherly figures and they've all been like supportive and have helped me to this point. But I would say that, um, actually music and dance has helped me. It helped me survive. Growing up, I was a dancer. So, um, just like school, dance class was my safe place. Wow. So you've, you have a creative outlet and I just want to say, my goodness. How would you feel right now if you were locked down and unable to go to school? Yeah, it would be rough. Yeah. Um I I honestly I don't know. I don't know. I would it would be trapped. It would be a whole yeah, I would just be trapped. Trapped and more Yeah, trapped and more and more abused. Yeah. I mean there were times where like I would be locked up for weeks at a time and not be in school. So, like, I do know that feeling, but I can't imagine, like, with everything going on and kids who are being abused being locked in home with their abusers right now. When you were trapped in the barn for those weeks and weeks, 
what was going through in your mind? Um, at that point, I didn't even know that what was happening to me was what I thought this was like how a father showed their love to a daughter was the only thing I ever knew. So to me, it was just like, this is just something like life. It was just something I had to do. Like to me, it was just like how some kids have to clean the dishes. It was, for me, it was like, my dad's going to rape me tonight. And that's my job, like, is to let him do that. And you just sit in the dark or however the condition. You must have been doing something while waiting for him. Um, no, I was tied up. I wasn't allowed to do anything. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Oh, my God. I want to punch him in the pa face right now. <laughs> I really, really do. You're not the first one who has said that. <laughs> so you were not thinking of anything? You were just... How, how did you survive that? I, I can't imagine. Were you playing in the like, clouds even, or... Even when I was, like, locked up alone, it was still, it was still dancing. Like, I would picture myself, like, I would close my eyes and I would just imagine the steps in my head and, like, just run through them over and over again in my head. And it was just, like, it was just my escape that way. Like, I was able to, like, no matter what, I was able to just close my eyes and go through my routines and go through my routines. Wow. And and that really is actually the mind doesn't know whether it's real or imagined. So that's really uh, an important thing for people to know that when they are in that crisis or adversity, that they can go someplace else in their imagination or fantasy and create a whole nother world and not have to suffer through that trapped feeling trapped. <laughs> you were tied down. Oh, my God. Um I can't imagine, and I can't imagine raising my kids in in this lockdown. They graduated already, but I I can't imagine walking in <sighs> people who are going through this this oppression of freedom, suppression of voices. Well, let me ask you this: I didn't get a chance to ask you why did you agree to come and uh, grace me with your presence. <laughs> Um, it was really just, I thought it was a good opportunity to spread more awareness and gotten to the point to where, like I said, my story doesn't really hurt me as much anymore. So I'm able to like openly talk about it and help others, either help kids get out of the situation or figure out how to get out of the situation. What I heard was 800,000 kids are either missing or trafficked. Uh, I, I can't, um. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, if you're in, uh, if you're in a room with three other girls, so it's you and three other girls, the statistic is one in four of you have been raped. That is just sad. Um, and and I, believe, I believe it's either one in six men, I believe, or one in eight men. But I could be wrong. So higher percentage in, in girls, in female. Oh, that just makes me so mad. Um, Jesus. What do you think um, is the solution out there? Uh, one is, you know, to, to thank you for speaking up and raising awareness, helping raise awareness on this. Um, but where do you see we need more focus? We need, where's the gap? Yeah, I think part of it is um, lack of people being trained to know the signs. Like people who are supposed to be trained to know the signs, they don't. And it's not necessarily their fault, but it's just, like, the society we live in, it's kind of like a brush it under the rug, like, type thing. And it's like people can see obvious signs and not even realize they're seeing them. 
So there's that. And it's also like, um, for me, the hardest part was actually speaking up when I had to like talk to police officers and like all of that. And then going to court four and a half years. It was like, it was almost like the whole situation happened all over again in those four and a half years because of how often I had to relive it. And I think that's one thing that should be changed. The laws and legislations about like abusers, torch children and like how they're handled and how long they have to go to court for and the whole court process. Right. Because the more you relive it, the more you get triggered mm-hmm. and the more it becomes part of your identity. But you're smart enough to be able to rise above that, which is amazing. Is there anything else uh, that you see that there's just weaknesses in the system? Yeah, I would really just say the way that, honestly, victims are like treated through the court system. Like Going through the court system is a whole other traumatic experience on its own. Yeah. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cover ups going on, censorship on yeah. this issue, and uh, yeah, if I can get through this uh, thing in my stomach right now, just talking about it makes me um, feel like wired up and wanna wanna hurt somebody, especially your <laughs> <laughs> abuser. I love that you shared about imagination and your creative outlet through dance. Is there anything that you would like to share with other? Uh, let's start with uh, older survivors that have not embraced their past yet. Like you have, you're so young and you've already, you know, gone to that level of forgiveness i know of people that will never ever forgive um their attackers or traitor like my thing was dance in school and everybody has some sort of passion whether it's reading or writing and honestly the best way to start finding your voice and finding yourself is to find that passion and hold on to it and be able like you might not be able to use your passion right away to share your story or to help others, but there's a day where you can. Tell me, when you were dancing and imagining, how did you feel in your body? How how did you feel? Yeah, dancing to me was very, very freeing. Like, it was a place where I was truly myself, and I didn't feel judged, and I could just, I just put on my dance shoes, and I was with my friends, and I could just let go. Just let go. Oh, that's so amazing. That would be the same message you have for younger kids who are maybe still in that? Younger kids who are still in it, yeah, I would have a similar message. Like, you just have to find something that, like, you have to find something to keep you going. Like, something that you love, that you can just hold on to it and love it. Okay. Uh, that's that's really amazing that you have that passion early on in life. You have that creativity uh, outlet. I I didn't uh, discover my creativity until late in life. I'm a late bloomer when it comes to that. So I was I was trained right. I was groomed to be <laughs> an academic. So that part of me was shut down. So uh, for those on the other side, it's never too late to find your creative outlet. Um, yeah. It's there. It's there. Uh, I used to say I, I'm not an artist or I have no creative bone in my body. That's total bogus. So, <laughs> so for those of um, you know who are listening and who will be listening, how can they help 
other than uh, improving the legal system? I would just say get more familiar with the signs. Like even if you Google like signs or whatever you need to do. Like for me, it was like I said, people are looking for like the quote unquote like bad guys in the back alleys with like guns and weapons and like kidnapping their kid from a grocery store or whatever. But you're so busy looking for those types of things that your neighbor next door has their child tied up in a barn and you have no idea. And you're over at their house for dinner. And it's like they, you just don't even realize that it's right around you. It's right in front of your face. And so what signs? So for me, it was, um, I, I was a very, very quiet kid. I didn't talk to anyone. Like adults were like bad people to me. Um, there's just certain things like my dad would take me out like to dinner and like the waiters would see me with my dad, but then I would leave with another grown man. And it's like, um, a lot of people are like, why don't you scream for help? Like children who are abused and are trafficked, they're not, they're not going to scream for help. That's not something that we can do. Like we cannot, like if we scream for help, that could be the end of our life. Like if, if we are like screaming help, like for help in the grocery store, you're proud, the abuser is probably going to take you home and you're going to get punished for that later. So it's like you obey as much as you can to avoid as much abuse as you possibly can. So it's really, it's really like, I know some of the signs are really, really hard to see because at the same time, it's like, well, that, that kid's just a bratty kid. Like, right, right. But then also it's like, well, why does that kid have bruises up and down her thighs? So it's, there's like a balance. And so tell me now, where are you at? Uh, you're using your dance as a therapy. Do you serve yeah. children? Right now it's kind of hard with COVID. So, so I took the year off, but I'm still, I would still consider myself a dancer. Like I still love it. It's still my passion. Um, I'm also in school full time, going to school to be a social worker to work with kids. And if the, and uh, you're going to social work. Uh, with what specific goal in mind? Um, well, at first I want to work in like child division, like, um, my social worker. Um, if it wasn't for my social worker in my early high school years, I wouldn't be alive today. Like if it wasn't for her coming into my life, I would not be alive. It's kind of like, I want to give that back to some kids and be able to help them in that way. But also like, I want to apply to law school and go in on the law side and help like different child abuse like laws and legislations. Yeah, yeah. That's just horrible that you had to go through that. I'm I'm really sorry you had to go through that, but I'm also acknowledging you for your courage, for your wisdom to rise above this and not even though it's part of you. It's not stopping you. And uh, if there's anything else that you want to share. I would just say to like kids and stuff, like you really do have to find something to keep you going. You always have to let the fire inside of you burn brighter and hotter than the fires around you. It's like the only way to survive. I absolutely love that. That is so true. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Haley. I, again, sorry that you had to go through that, but you're so much wiser because of it. 
and you're gonna I, I really believe that what you're doing through social work your dreams your dance uh, it's it's gonna catapult you to a bigger expression of yourself I believe you're um, a big really big energy and you're here to make the world a better place through your experience and thank you for your sacrifices thank you for all that you've gone through it really really makes my blood boil that there's censorship around it i promise you that i will not shut up about this really uh, make it known out there that this kind of abuse is happening and that we need to go to the core of the issue yeah Okay. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good holiday. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind. Take back your voice. Take back your soul. Take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.